Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. In 2017, simplicity was the theme for the Living Education Retreat. I didn't attend, but I did get to hear Mary Buving's recorded talk on her journey toward simplifying her life, getting rid of things to make room for people. Mary's testimony is moving and inspiring, but also filled with practical wisdom for living joyfully with less. I hope all of you will be as encouraged by her words as I am every time I listen. Many thanks to Mary for allowing us to share her talk and to Sage Parnassus for providing the recording. To see the original slides from this presentation, please visit the show page at charlottemasonpoetry.org. I wanted to share a quote with you before I get started. It's from Amy Carmichael, and I feel that it describes my heart for this talk, and I want you to understand where I'm coming from when I say the things that I will be saying. She says, we saw our calling, how we were truly of no account, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Nothing anyone thought of us could reach lower down than that. No one could ever count us less than we were. But he that is down need fear no fall. He that is down cannot get between God and his glory. And we knew then there was nothing he could not do through us if only we were nothing. Very special to me the past couple years as we've taken on this big challenge in my life. So, this is what I have been working on learning this year, and it has been very difficult. I would call this year a broken year as far as our family goes. It's walking these children through this heartache that foster children experience and being cut off from biological parent is very difficult. We've also made the difficult decision to move and leave our church family. And so there have been lots of difficult times and I have felt that constant need to narrow down and that simplicity has sort of saved my sanity many, many times this year. And so as I keep, I just laugh to myself when I think of this talk because I just think, what am I going to say? It's so crazy. And um, the Lord has reminded me of these important things. I have some good things to remind us of. Um, I felt this year like I was sort of drowning in all of the things that I felt I should do. And I, at different times, I thought, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot be a mother and a wife and a home educator with Charlotte Mason and a blogger and um, a friend Everything just felt overwhelming to me, and it was true. I could not do it all because I had my phone in my hand and because I was trying to cope with life by sleeping right up to the moment that life must begin. And so I started to get back into my habits that I know are good for me, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Why do I do that? So I put my phone down. And I started to get up on time and things started to turn around. And each time this year that I've started to feel so overwhelmed, I feel like those two things need to be addressed again. So I kind of start over. And I do feel that there is time. I, I cannot be the blogger that I would like to be. So that's kind of gone out the window for right now, and that's okay. Um, but I can be a wife and a mom, and I can do a Charlotte Mason education if I am have narrow focus. That has been helpful. And Charlotte's vexed quote always comes to my mind, and I only remember the word vexed in it, and so that's how I go search for it when I need it. So I I type in vexed, and then it comes up. So she says, Integrity in our work makes for gaiety because the person who is honest about his work has time to play and is not secretly vexed by the remembrance of things left undone or ill done. And boy, is that true. And the ill done... I'm not really a perfectionist, but I know when I have not been doing my work, and and I really feel like I see it in educating with Charlotte Mason, because I know that we just see these wonderful things when we are doing what she has said to do. So um, I keep trying, and some days I'm vexed, and some days I feel okay. And um, I've really taken it to heart. I feel like in the Bible we have this simple, even Titus 2, it's simple. 
love your husband and your children and take care of them and your home and live self-controlled and pure lives. And that is pretty simple and narrow focus. And I can do that. It's when I try to add all these other things in and I start to get carried away and things start to fall apart. Anita Schaefer reminds us we're finite. We cannot do everything that might be a really great idea. And so um, this year, I've mainly stayed off Pinterest and other helpful blogs. I have been so overwhelmed that they stop being helpful. I just cry. And so no man really loves his wife to wander around the house crying over what she can't get done. I think... Isn't it C.S. Lewis that says he has a terror of crying women? I, I think it's C.S. Lewis. So that's not in your, in your notes. I, I don't know. So. Anyway, um, so it's, it's really helped to shore things up to just focus on what I can do. And um, so Susan Schaefer-McCauley, I love her books. And for the family's sake, she says, it is helpful to remember we don't have to do everything or have everything. Today we're so, we have so overcomplicated and stressed our lives, minds, and bodies with it too much that we've lost a pearl of great price. The basic, basics of wholesome everyday life at home, a balanced life. I really like her first chapter in that book. It's, if you haven't read it, it's worth $4 on Amazon. Used. And so Charlotte has quite a bit to say. I keep coming around the corner in her volumes into a new idea that is simple and helps with our journey of Simplicity. And so she gives us a very lofty goal here. A parent who would educate his children in any large sense of the word must lay himself out for high thinking and lowly living, the highest thinking indeed possible to the human mind, and the simplest, directest living. And she, I feel, she embodied that. She was determined to live this. Um, she says to give our children our best and brightest hours. That is difficult, but worth it. We see great results when we do that. And as teachers, it's very tempting for me to think the more the better. And so if we're doing really great with four books, why not 10 books? I mean, why not? And our little children are just kind of want to curl up. And I mean, not that we should only ever read them four books. Just, you know, my mind is like, oh, they really like this. I should give them five more books on the same topic. They'll love that. They're like, Mom, come on. So just the simple, the better, even in that. Um, and so Nancy talked about the simplicity essay in Scale How Meditations. And I didn't know what she was going to say. And so it was kind of funny as I'm listening to her. And I had been praying, how am I going to fit my material into an hour? And then the Lord just delivered my answer in Nancy's talk. She unpacks the... Simplicity essay for us, so I don't have to go and explain all that. We just know. Dark lanterns, self-consciousness is not simple. And then the insincerity part, I really, really like that. And in, in the Scale Home Meditations, she talks about the insincerity. And I thought, right away, if I'm thinking of hypocrisy, she, she talks about in Luke, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Jesus' warnings to the people he's teaching and when I think of hypocrisy, I think of trying to put on a show in front of people. And what Charlotte was getting at was how we deceive ourselves into thinking we are something that we are not, or that we are doing right when we are doing wrong. And the harm we can cause our families when we deceive ourselves as teachers, such as, my child won't learn, he won't make an effort. When we really, if, if I sit with the Lord and pray and think about that one particular struggle I'm having with that child, often the Holy Spirit will bring to my mind how I, as a teacher, have not been treating that child as a person, and kind of going back to insincerity in my own heart of not being willing to take responsibility for some of the things going on. And sometimes it's a behavior issue with a child, but sometimes it really is in my heart of trying to rush the child or give them too much when that's not what they should be having at that time. So I really like that essay. It's worth reading. She talks about the anxiety issue of covetousness and how Jesus was showing um, the man who was saying, Lord, will you please make my brother share the inheritance with me? And Jesus said, who made me the judge? And then he, instead of 
really dealing with that situation, he turns to the people and he says, he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so that man was deceiving himself into thinking it was just an issue of fair play. And then Jesus was able to show the heart of the issue that we are covetous and how that can create anxiety in our life because when we are not content, things are never enough. And it can really cause some trouble in the home if mom is not operating from a place of contentment. And so uh, The Pursuit of God, I don't know if you've all read that book. I love it. It's one of my favorite books. And in it, Tozer talks about the fact that we have a place in our heart where only God um, should be. And that in that place, we have substituted. He calls it the monster substitution. We have put things in the place of where God belongs. And that things have become this, he calls it tough, fibrous root. And we have this deep, burning desire for more. Always, always more. And so... What I have found is that deep contentment is going away from covetousness, leaving covetousness behind, and going over here on a path of contentment is very hard. And I think that until, at least in my journey, until we are content to live simply and be happy with what we have right now, and just decide this is good, this is enough. I think all of the simple strategies and all of that wouldn't help us until we are ready to accept contentment into our lives and kind of turn the corner. And so I want to share a little bit about how I've come to this place that I am now. Um, when I was young and just growing up, my family, we were just kind of collectors. I was a pack rat child. I would wake up in the morning and take all of my things in bags and buckets from my bedroom into where I was going to be in the house and play with my things there. And I remember doing it, and my mom confirms, yes, you did that. That was crazy. Um, and so I just grew up that way and didn't really think anything of it until I met my husband, Michael, and that is not how he grew up, of course. We wouldn't marry anyone that <laughs> thought the same. Um, and so he couldn't understand why if you have a, a wall space, a blank wall space, why you would want to set a chair against that wall for someone to trip over. And so he was just, why are you getting more stuff? And, you know, he's gracious. So he, we got more stuff. And uh, it was, I was a young mom um, and we were kind of dealing with life at that point. You know, you get more things, you have babies, you need more and more and more for your babies, supposedly. And um, I read a book from the library called Margin by Richard Swenson. And it was a two-in-one book, Margin and the Overload Syndrome. And it started to change my heart. The things in that book were so valuable. And if you're going to read Margin, please start halfway through. Don't start with all of the boring diagrams and graphs and dry stuff to be. So if you can't handle it, then whatever, be bored. But I start halfway through. So anyway, um, Margin, he quoted a little snippet from War and Peace in Tolstoy, and it grabbed my attention, and I never forgot. And he said that Napoleon was marching on Moscow, would arrive in the city in a couple days, and so everyone who had things to get out of the city was working on packing them up. And so they were loading carts, and a wealthy count had about 20 carts he was loading, having his servants load with all of his possessions. And his daughter was watching from upstairs, and she looked down into the courtyard, and she saw all these carts with the possessions being loaded on them, and then she saw all the wounded soldiers laying around in the courtyard waiting to die because they were either injured, starving, some, for some reason, they could not get themselves out of the city, and so they had just taken refuge in that courtyard to wait it out and wait for to be killed, basically. And so she she sees it. She sees what's going on with loading the carts, and she rushes downstairs and begs her father, couldn't we please put people on the carts and leave the things here? And our children see this often. Sometimes we don't want to see it, or we're blind. But children 
have this unique ability to just see that people matter. And so the father sees the shame of it, and he quickly directs the servants to unload the carts and start putting people on the carts. And so that story got into my heart, and I started to think about valuing people over things. And it took me a long time. I would say at that time, I was not ready to be content, and so it did not matter what I read on simplicity. I wasn't ready yet, and so and sometimes we're not ready. And then we moved several times. My husband really wishes I had found simplicity before we moved because that would have made it nicer for him. And uh, we moved to California, and then he said, I'm never moving again. And then 18 months later, we moved again. And then he said, I'm never moving again. And then nine months later, so that was when we were with my living with my in-laws. So we lived with my in-laws for nine months. And during that time, I just began to see I can do with a lot less. This is, we were living in two bedrooms worth of space. And so we were looking at houses finally after nine months. We had, he had had some serious medical issues. And so we were kind of in a, a weird time. And so we were finally looking at houses and we found the smallest house in town that we could afford. And it was a 1,000 square feet. And I remember telling him, we can't adopt. We were already talking about adopting children. We've been wanting to do that for a long time. I said, we can't adopt children if we live in a 1,000 square feet. He's like, well, we could stay with my mom and dad, or we could buy this house. So we bought the house. <laughs> I love my in-laws, and they're really wonderful people. And they have been an inspiration to me. And were so generous to let us live there. And then after we left, they really felt empty nest syndrome and so they fostered two teenage girls and at 65 they started fostering these girls and they became their guardians and um, now they're 70 and the youngest one is going to be a senior in high school this year so that's been they're amazing people and it's been really neat to watch so I got into my thousand square foot house and my garage was full of stuff and we were getting settled in a new job and I started to think I might sort things for the rest of my life. Like, you know, people could ask me, what do you do? And I would say, well, I sort things. I mean, <laughs> it could go on forever. I would just move them from here to there and then back. And so I really started to get serious. I thought, I don't want to do this forever. It, this could take up, you know, my life. And I, that's not what I want my life's work to be. So that was pretty challenging, and I started to get rid of things, and in that year, I got rid of about half of our family's sinks. I made space in the bedrooms, I got rid of some furniture, I got rid of about half of what was in the garage, and as I was getting rid of things, I wanted to start just, I wanted to burn the garage down. My husband's really glad I didn't do that, because, you know, unstable woman is sort of like a crying woman, kind of a terror, and uh, so he, I had to be balanced and keep traditions. And continuity for our family. I couldn't get rid of everything that we have traditions with or a memory to, but I had to be much more careful of what I kept because there wasn't room for it. And so as I was doing that sorting, I came across this quote. We accumulate <coughs> furnishings and pictures and appurtenance, which I had to look up. It means equipment and paraphernalia, and belongings without end. And we say in vain, Soul, take thine ease and enjoy that which thou hast got, because of the very nature of this fever of covetousness, this desire for the accumulation of things, and it grows on that upon which it is fed, and each new possession turns on, as it were, a dozen new desires. There is no middle way, only the one counsel will save us, that we beware of all covetousness. So, as we sort, we have to think, about this issue, and now, hopefully, Hudson Taylor. It is possible to sing my all is on the altar and be unprepared to sacrifice a ring from one's finger or a picture from one's wall or a child from one's family for the salvation of the heathen. And I was sorting my pictures and my things and deciding that I would much rather make space for people. People are worth getting rid of some things and... It was a very challenging, and it's very personal. Sorting through our things is very personal. So people can't really do it for us, and we have to be ready to do it before we can really have success. And so I have found that if I have my why, I want to get rid of things, I easily figure out how. But if I don't have the why in place, the how is, you know, very confusing sometimes. 
So our social worker finally came through to tell us if we were ready to take children. We had the bed set up for, um, well, two extra, two children. And she came through and she said, yeah, you can take three even. I was like, oh, okay, well, that would be crazy. Um, and then the next week, our life completely changed. She called us with a group of five children the first time. And so we took those for a few days, and that was kind of insane. And then we um, we got the next placement was two of, of the girls in the sibling group of four. And we knew they had brothers, but the brothers weren't able to stay at our house because we didn't legally have enough space yet. And so we agreed we would quickly add on to the house as fast as we could get a contractor to do it. Um, but the little boys still weren't with us for the first month. And so my social worker said, boy, you've never seen boys like this. I love boys, and these boys are two and three years old. How, how bad could it be? Well, they came to our house. I hadn't really seen boys like that before either. And the names I was called by one of those little boys, the mouth on the two-year-old was astounding. I've not been called things like that before. So that, um, he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> uh... So that was a very challenging time, and our whole mentality changed that week that we took children. We just saw so clearly it is worth every ounce of tossing things, narrowing our focus to take these children. We saw this just pit of despair. We looked into it. We saw these broken children, broken families. We realized this is worth all of our time and attention to not only us, but bringing our biological children alongside us and rescuing children who just desperately needed a family. And these children were homeless. And so sort of like taking little animals into your home that don't know what a home is like. And so we had to just start retraining them on, this is what moms and dads do. This is normal. This is, you know, we sit and we eat dinner together. And it was just all very new for them. The five-year-old was particularly struck by all that we were doing and asked a lot of questions. The baby, when we got her, was 11 months old, and she could lay on the ground and scream, which I didn't always have her on the ground. I mean, we hold her, but she screamed. So, you know, sometimes you got to take care of everybody else. So she would lay on the ground and scream. She didn't want to be in any little bouncy seat toys. She didn't interact with any toys. She couldn't sit up or roll over. She had no leg muscle. So if you stood her up on your lap and kind of tried to play with her and bounce her, nothing. No expression. And these were meth children, so we thought, well, this is probably just the meth. We didn't, we weren't sure what to think, but it was concerning because we knew they were potentially coming up for adoption. We weren't quite sure how we would handle these difficulties that she had. And so her birthday was in a month. In one month, my husband always does this game with the children where he holds the baby in the palm of his hand and they balance on his hand. And I think it's so fun and laugh and scream. And this is her on her birthday. Aww. One month later, she was so happy. She was expression, laughing. She was sitting up. She was trying to roll over by then. And just in a home. There was no therapy yet. So just in a home setting with a clean floor to crawl on. And so amazing progress in her in the first six months we had her the doctors thought she would not walk and so they just told us you know she she won't walk she wasn't even sitting up at a, at a year and we we're like okay well we don't know so all right and um six months after we had her when i was at the ler last year my husband taught her to walk of course dad's home and the baby walked <laughs> <laughs> of course and so um by the end of july she was running and she just i mean She's a completely normal two-and-a-half-year-old, driving everyone crazy and being cute, and it's a lot of fun. Very joyful. We named her Layla Joy, because she is, I believe, went along the lines of simplicity as an atmosphere, and I think it really is. Um, when you have simplicity in your home, things change, and there is peace. And this is from Amy Carmichael in a little tiny book I love called His Thoughts Said and His Father Said. So first it says what, what we're, we tend to think, and then it shows what God is saying about 
Okay, so, Shasat said, if only things continued in a regular order, I would find it much easier to maintain a restless spirit. But as it is, there is no continuance in anything ever. His father said, don't think this is strange. You are here, you have here no continuing city. You are seeking one to come. These changes are merely the changeful landscape of your life as you travel to the city which has foundations. But your journey may be restful. If you are inwardly at rest, nothing outward can disturb you. Peace always under all conditions, that is my word for you. Do not let it slip. Do not drift away from it. Hold it fast, for it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. For me right now, that's excellent advice, and I have to keep continually coming back and evaluating the peace in our home because it's such a full-time job to make sure we don't start bringing in too much or doing too much. And so I have had to let go of some pride in this because I naturally start to feel guilty for the things I am not doing, and I have to listen to my husband on this issue because he can much more easily see where I'm starting to creep over here and take on too much. And then it just makes, like, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so um, he really helps me out with that because I just have a tendency to just guilt myself into picking things up that I shouldn't. And I feel like a wimp, so he reassures me a lot. Um, when I'm reading to the kids, sometimes I'll come across a passage in one of the books. Heidi, for instance, I don't know about you guys, but after reading Heidi, I thought I was going to die if I didn't get back to the Swiss Alps. And I've never lived in the Swiss Alps before, but the peace of that story in the mountains, I just long for that. And so... I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning of the book, Grandfather's cupboard. He, she comes into the, Heidi comes into the, cat, the chalet and goes into this cupboard where Grandfather keeps everything he needs for life in this cupboard. He has his food, he has his cups and plates, and he has his clothes. And it talks about, I'm just like, oh, that would be so, where would he put his million puzzles or his, I mean, I, would, I love it. I just love it. And um, Malay is my favorite artist, and sometimes when I'm really feeling out of sorts, I have a couple of his art books, and I just go sit, and I look at his pictures, and I read his biography, and so I know he's drawing people who worked incredibly hard, and yet still knew how to take a little rest, and have some quiet reflection in a lot of his pictures. The person is even at work, and you can tell by the look on their face, that they are also at peace. And so that is how I want to be and try to be. And so it's really helpful sometimes to kind of regroup. And then you can see they're working. Laundry, whatever this is, shovel. And they have a few minutes to play with the baby. And I love that. And so also in his paintings, what is useful can also be beautiful. And I really like that because that's basically where I am right now. I don't have enough space for a lot, and so I try to make what is useful also beautiful if I need to have it around the house. Okay, so discipline. We produce an environment other people have to live in. We should be conscious of the fact that this environment which we produce by our very being can affect the people who live with us. The effect on them is something they cannot avoid. So in... The Hidden Art of Homemaking, or Hidden Art in some old versions. Um, Edith Schaefer talks about the environment in our home. And that chapter, it's the last chapter in the book, I feel it is worth the price of the whole book. I can sometimes get bogged down in all of her ideas throughout the book, but if you just look to the last chapter, it's really beautiful. And the contrast of what um, we sometimes do versus what could be beautiful, she very clearly lays it out. It's quite convicting for me. And so, it is one of those fussy, busy days which we women rather delight in. We do more than we can ourselves. Our nerves are on end with the fatigue and the little excitement, and everyone in the house or the school is uncomfortable. My concern is that that is everyday life, and then there are a few breaks <coughs> from fussy, busy days. And so, I try very hard to think about this as I'm scheduling things and we don't want to make our family uncomfortable and that's definitely can easily happen when I'm stressed and doing too much and have too much. 
have to reevaluate. This one is a habit. It says, somebody has to get up early, stay up late, do more than the others if the human garden is to be a thing of beauty. And so having habits of getting up early, not necessarily staying up late, but, you know, things need to be done. I stay up late and do them. And uh, it's just very valuable to our family that we take this seriously as our role to stay on top of our, of our things. Um, she also says, there are no perfect families, only families who try. So that's comforting. And I think, as I re read and think about this, we are the gatekeepers of our home. And so we don't necessarily think we are because I feel like things multiply in the kids' bedroom faster than I can blink. And I don't know exactly how it happens, but I know Sunday school is a big contributor. <laughs> Sunday school is great, but good grief. Why? Why glue? Why sand? And Anyway. Uh, so we're the gatekeepers, and we kind of control the flow of things in our home, whether we like that or not. And so just embracing it can help and being very strategic about it. And so sometimes I read on blogs or different people talk to me, and they say, well, I feel really badly forcing simplicity on my children. Children should be able to have whatever they want, and I'm thinking... I mean, just the rock collection. I mean, just, we, it's healthy. It is so healthy. My children, you can watch them almost visibly decompress when I pull all the unnecessary out of their room and leave what I call a blank canvas for them to just do their thing. And it's very helpful for them. Um, they get along better. They play better. And these children I've had to learn, they've, they've had to learn to play, so I've had to teach them how to play, and that, no, you're not just going to run out of your room every five minutes asking what's next or asking for something else to play with. And so teaching them slowly but consistently prolonged playing times has been really healthy for them. And now I can send them to their room. They all four now, the baby can go with them, and they go and play. And they can play up to half an hour, 45 minutes together with a toy that I get out for them. And um, I sound mean when people come to my house and hear me say, no, you have to play with those toys, and you can't come out and ask for more things. And But it has really helped them to just mentally think, okay, well, I'm stuck playing with this, so I might as well. And then they have a great time. When they know, they're like, okay, we got to do it. So they come up with all kinds of cool, crazy stuff. And so that has worked really well to just help their minds not have too much. Um, so I do what I call... Um, creating a blank canvas for all the insanity that happens. And so we, our family quickly gets the dining room back to this after every meal because of what happens at this table every day. And so as you can see on the right, there's a door there. And so when chairs are here, you can't get out the door. And then you can't get in that room when chairs are there. And so everything has to be, we have to regroup several times a day so that we can get where we need to go. And so that has been, because this is what happens when there are people in chairs there. Mm -hmm. Super fun and very loud and chaotic. And um, we just use that for everything. That's our school room. That's, where, that's our school where we do school. We do at the table and eat and play and paint <coughs> and color. And that's where life happens in our house. And so I try to keep it very simple so it's not visually overwhelming and they can just have a great time. So this is the little kid's bedroom, also blank canvas thinking. You can't see it, but there's a big box of Legos under the bed on the right, and there's matchbox cars here and a boat that's supposed to be up in the closet. And when they get in there with their pillows and blankets and the girls bring their baby dolls and they dress up and get in there, you would think I keep about three million toys in there. <laughs> I mean, you can't even tell that all we keep in there is Legos and matchbox cars. And then special occasion toys... I'm in charge of getting them out, and they'll ask for the dishes out so they can make Lego coffee. And, you know, I mean, they just, I get it down for them because um, they try to have something that's manageable for them to pick up. And they really enjoy picking up their room when it's time. One is very OCD, I'm a little worried about, but <laughs> great room cleaner. I mean, fantastic. So, and house cleaner. I mean, they don't even hardly need to be asked to clean the house. Just like, hey, mom, can I clean the house for you? Yes, please do. So that's nice. So that's our um, blank canvas idea. 
All right, so simplicity is a life. So people ask me, how does this affect your big kids? I cry every time I try to practice this, so I'm sorry. I'm probably going to cry. It's terrifying. Um, so this is my youngest biological child, Josh, and our oldest adopted child, Slayer. Now, Josh is our collector in the family, and he is the one I've spent the most time with attempting to teach him not to be covetous. And I've been, as a mom through the years, a little concerned about all the collections and the, what am I going to buy next? And all of those, you know, I mean, moms are just like, we don't have enough to worry about. We might as well worry about our child being, you know. <laughs> so, this guy, her birthday was two weeks ago, Liz, and... Um, Josh went to the store with dad and another brother and somehow bought something that dad had no idea he bought. I mean, what happens at Walmart? <laughs> so he bought this, bought the, a present with his own money. He wrapped it himself. He set it on the table for her birthday. And she opened it and I was like, who bought you that present? Josh was like, I think he went and bought a Lego set for her, which as you know, if you buy Legos, those are not cheap. He... Oh, Earns money doing yards, so he uses his own money. This guy gives like you wouldn't believe to these children. He has shared his bedroom. He has shared his mom and dad. He has shared almost all of his things. I mean, there's very few things that he keeps that they can't touch, and we take good care of those things. And he is generous, and he just needed an opportunity to show that side of him. He, he wouldn't have had this chance if we hadn't had these kids. And they play, and he teaches her. He's so proud, he's taught her. Poor Shalea, she did not have an easy time before she came to us. And so, even teaching her how to follow Lego instructions has been quite a challenge. And Josh took it on, he was determined he's gonna teach this girl to build Lego things. And so, starting about over a year ago, he has worked with her patiently, carefully to build Legos following instructions, and so when she, I think he thought he was going to help her put this thing together that he got her, she went in her room and put it together. He's like, where, where's Shalea? So she put her Lego thing together without help, and he taught her, and he was so proud. So that's really special to me, that without any more effort on my part than trying to take care of four new children, he has really become a generous and here's Joel, our 14-year-old, and that's Judah, and their birthday's a week apart. And so they had a joint birthday cake at Grandma's house. Joel is my deep thinker, and he very he very carefully thinks through things. And so he thought a long time. We talked, we talked to all the big kids about what we're going to take the little kids. And, and when it came time to decide, okay, they're coming up for adoption, are we all okay with this? He really needed time to process and think about that, and we all came to the decision together that, yes, we love these children, and we want them in our family, and he has just been such a sweet big brother and taken on a huge responsibility. He's, he's the one, he'll see needs and take care of them, and so he'll see that I'm completely busy with a child over here, and he'll, so he'll take another child to the couch and read them a story or teach them something or whatever... He'll do the dishes sometimes, just he sees mom's busy, and he'll, he'll kind of help out. This is the oldest and youngest. This is Alyssa and Layla. And they have a special relationship. They love each other so much and play. Uh, I mean, that girl, it's really good. I read an article. It's so good for older siblings to have younger ones to look up to them. They take responsibility. They really rise to the occasion, and our kids definitely have. This was us just before I came. We, How stupid of me. We acted out the Good Samaritan story, I thought that would be fun, at bedtime. <laughs> that was a terrible idea. They didn't calm down for, and that's, we're missing a couple. Uh, Joel's not there, and yeah, it was crazy. It was a lot of fun. So they stayed up late that night. They were, this is, we're Trailblazer fans basketball and so the boys got out their old basketball stuff and gave it to all the little kids and they were all so excited they had to have a picture this is all of them together and these two they're the youngest of both sets of kids and so they just they love hanging out together she wants to do everything with them this is my husband michael 
He has, um, this was a couple months ago, and he was having a few health, little high blood pressure. So he lost 40 pounds just because he decided he was going to lose 40 pounds. I think he walked to work a couple times and probably ate a little less. (laughs) In the same amount of time, I have lost two pounds and gained them back three different times. And so I'm really proud of myself, too. It's quite an accomplishment. (laughs) Boy, was I mad. So anyway, he is awesome, and he, um, I really had to, as this has gone on, and we've done this together, we both say this is the hardest thing we've ever done, and we would not do it any differently. And so, um, I was mentally ready to take children before Michael was, and I am so grateful that I waited until he was ready to take this on because he has just been there and done everything with, I mean, I could never have done this if I didn't have a husband who was completely in this together. And so if anyone is considering this and you have a spouse that is not quite ready, it's so wise to just put it on the back burner and pray because it's really important to be in it together. So. My kids have benefited. Our family has benefited. My kids have a lot more um, possibility for masterly inactivity than they previously had because I do not have the time to just watch everything like I was to an unhealthy degree, I possibly. We have a tiny house, so I can hear everything. I'm like magic. So I think it's been good for the big kids. They've had a lot more responsibility, and they have taken it on very well. And there's also a downside. So, the one thing that comes up routinely is they miss mom. And I still read to them, and they still sit with me, but I cannot give them the time that I used to give them, and that has been an adjustment. I'll be honest, it's been hard some days, and some days you just want mom. And I can't always drop everything, but I try, and I put a little couch in my room, I call it my therapy couch because I sit with almost every single kid almost every single day on that couch and they talk to me about whatever is going on and it's very good for them. So right now our couch has moved up to Washington and we really miss it because there's not a a place to sit with them someplace away from people. So that's a very valuable couch and I will do just about anything to get it back in the bedroom in Washington even though there's no room for it, and it might be five inches from my side of the bed, which won't make my husband very happy. But very important place in our house. And um, so our social worker had to come and approve us for the final step of adoption. And she had to talk to each of my big kids by herself, which I hate. I hate some stranger. So anyway, she did. And she sent us an email after she talked to them. And she said... They all said they would never change us. They would do it again. They're so proud of what our family's done. And she said, each one of them said they miss their parents. And she was really impressed with them that they were willing to do this, even though they miss their parents. And in our society, people think that is a travesty to do anything that would make your kids at all um, uncomfortable or sad or have to miss their parents and in the kingdom of heaven we see it a little differently and my kids see it differently too and they're very um, happy to go through this and I think you know when we um, we read ourselves to our kids and we read all these challenging stories and then we, we don't give them opportunities as teenagers to prove that they can do difficult things too. I just think they often, I know I did as a teenager, I really wanted to do big things for the Lord early. And um, sometimes we delay things because we think they aren't ready, but oftentimes they surprise us. And Charlotte even talks about children see, there's the sin in their life. They see their own selfishness. They see, um, they see when we read with them, they get it. They can tell what, what maybe in ways that they need to grow. And so we need to trust that they are seeing that too. And um, so in volume one, I love this whole story. Charlotte's talking that children should be trained to endure hardness was a principle of the old regime. I shall never make a sailor if I can't face the wind and rain, said a little fellow of five who was taken out 
on a bitter night to see a torchlight procession. And though shaking with cold, he declined the shelter of a shed. Nowadays, the shed is everything. The children must not be permitted to suffer from fatigue or exposure. I love that because I do feel like that is a struggle we have. We want to protect our children from everything, and in the process, we don't let them prove that they are tough and they can, they can handle it. In volume two, Charlotte talks a lot about um, the social questions of the time. And so they were just starting to try to do some social uh, work that was on a large scale, she was saying. And she is talking about what children here around the fireside, around the table, affects their thoughts of magnanimous living, the social questions for the rest of their lives, and whether or not they have compassion for those issues. And so it really is a very large responsibility for us to discuss these things with our children, even if we're not able to do big things, and big things did not have to be foster care, it could be any sort of thing that is just a challenge for the family. So I have a few practical things, and they may not be helpful to you, I realize, but I'm just going to tell you a couple things I do, and they might, who knows. Procrastination for me is so unsimple. It makes my life incredibly difficult when I don't do things like check the laundry. I think the Holy Spirit actually reminds me to do laundry because I have that prompting of, I bet there's no wash running right now. And if I don't go see and hours pass, we're just in a bad place. So also going to the grocery store for me is another area I really like to procrastinate on. But I try not to because having at least one backup of every single thing in the house is something that I just must do now. And it saves me a lot of trouble and heartache when I don't have to run to the store. So ironically, in preparing for this talk, we went to Washington for two weeks, took half our stuff up there to move, and then we came back down here to California. I'm not in California. Back to California for seven weeks, and I started running out of things. I have run out of tortillas, and I never run out of tortillas. They're like a basic staple in our home, and it was about half an hour till dinner, and I have other drivers in the family now, so it's not a disaster like it used to be. And they all looked at me like, you ran out of tortillas? <laughs> What's happening? Are you all right, Mom? It's like, guys, just run to the store, get tortillas. No. So, I mean, this is, I try really, really hard because it just makes life simple to have what you need when you need it. Okay, this one is a little bit controversial when I talk about it, but I, and I'm going to read you a little something. <clears throat> I sincerely think we cannot have simplicity in our homes where disobedience reigns. And so we might start with a lot of things to try to simplify, but we, when we have disobedient children that are causing a lot of problems in the home, as our four have, bringing them into the home, um, things are not simple and can't be until we resolve these. And people say, well, my children can't obey. And well, I say two words, parental resolve. <laughs> I mean, Charlotte talks about it all over the place, and it's true. If we mothers believe something is important, it generally gets done. And so I'm going to read you a quote from volume one, page 162. And it's a little bit on, on three pages. So here we go. She says, it is enough to say, do this in a quiet, authoritative tone and expect it to be done. The mother often loses her hold over her children because they detect in the tone of her voice that she does not expect them to obey her behests. Word. She does not think enough of her position, has not sufficient confidence in her own authority. The mother's great stronghold is in the habit of obedience. If she begin by requiring that her children always obey her, why they always will do so as a matter of course. But let them once get the thin end of the wedge in, let them discover that they can do otherwise than obey, and a woeful struggle begins which commonly ends in the child doing that which is right in their own eyes. This is the sort of thing which is fatal. The children are in the drawing room and a caller is announced. You must go upstairs now. Oh, mother dear, do let us stay in the window corner. We will be quiet as mice. Mother is rather proud of her children's pretty manners and they stay. 
They are not quiet, of course, but that is the least of the evils. They have succeeded in doing as they choose and not as they were bid. And they will not put their necks under the yoke again without a struggle. It is in these little matters that the mother is worsted. Bedtime, Willie. Oh, Mama, just let me finish this. And Mother yields, forgetting that the case in point is of no consequence. The thing that matters is that the child should be daily confirming a habit of obedience by the unbroken repetition of acts of obedience. It is astonishing how clever the child is in finding ways of evading the spirit while he observes the letter. Mary, come in. Yes, Mother. But her mother calls four times before Mary comes. Put away your bricks. And the bricks are put away with slow, reluctant fingers. You must always wash your hands when you hear the first bell. And the child obeys just that once and no more. To avoid the displays of willfulness, the mother will insist from the first on an obedience which is prompt, cheerful, and lasting, save for lapses of memory on the child's part. Tardy, unwilling, occasional obedience is hardly worth the having, and it is greatly easier to give the child the habit of perfect obedience by never allowing him in anything else than it is to obtain this mere formal obedience by constant exercise of authority. By and by, when he is old enough, take the child into confidence and let him know what a noble thing it is to be able to make himself do, in a minute and brightly, the very thing he would rather not do. To secure this habit of obedience, the mother must exercise great self-restraint. She must never give a command which she does not intend to see carried out to the full, and she must not lay upon her children burdens grievous to be borne of command heaped upon command. I've read that many times. I'm sure you all have as well. And it's just as true every time I read it. And it has changed my home. When these children came to me, the fits were lasting hours and hours a day. And those were taking up all my time. And we have, I would say, I can say this 99% of the time, we have eradicated fits. Children come when I call them. And they do what I tell them to do. And it's not a... And cheerfully, they're happy. They are so much happier than when they were disobedient and not listening. And when Judah came to our home, the first night I put him to bed, you know, you don't know what to do with a child. You don't know how they've been put to bed before. And so it's all very scary for them. So I was trying to cuddle him, and he didn't want to cuddle. And so I just thought, this child needs a space. So he was two at the time. I put him in bed, and he just stood there looking at me, like, woman, how dare you put me in bed? And that's actually, I found out later what he was thinking, because of what he said to me. But um, I said, now lay down. He just looked at me like, make me. And so I did make him, and we did that every night for about three or four nights, and then he decided he didn't want to do that anymore. And then he has not done that since. And he wouldn't think of doing that now. Now he would think of doing other things, and he does do other things. Um, but he is becoming an obedient boy who is proud to be an obedient boy. And he, we have a lot of talks about that. And then in volume two, she says something interesting. She says, as mothers, we say, I do not have the time to train that kind of obedience. Where on earth would I get that kind of time? And she says, well, wouldn't we spend a month nursing a child back to health if they were gravely ill? She said, spiritually, we can look at it as them being gravely ill if we have not taught them to obey. They're going to have, I can't remember the word she uses, very smart, intelligent word, but they're going to have a terrible life, basically. She's saying, if we don't do this and squelch it and get things on a wonderful, peaceful track right now. And so it's worth that time and effort and attention. And it sure has been worth it for us because we would not still be able to cope with life if children were not obeying. So it's been very important for our simplicity in the home. So that extends into wake time and bedtime. And in our home, 
we have a time when they may wake up and we go tell them when they may get out of the bed. And that seems we didn't have to do that with our other children, but because there are so many of them and they are all so close together and it is absolute chaos if they're not good structure here, we do um, tell them when they can get up in the morning and they're fine. If they're awake, they're just chilled and quiet in their bed, cuddle with their blankie and um, they do really well with it and it's never been any different. So they... It's a habit. And going to bed is not a question, and they love bedtime, singing and praying and talking. And I am a terrible singer, and I still sing to them. They love it, and I will not sing to anybody else, so they're, like, super lucky that I sing to them. Uh, my husband has asked me, please don't make our house look like a library. And so I try to be a submissive wife, and I don't want to do that. I make our house look like a library if he doesn't like that look. I mean, who wouldn't like... <laughs> so what we decided was this is the laundry room bookcase. It's tucked back in the back of the house, like the back door is right on the other side of this basket. And so in this skinny, tiny, narrow laundry room, I have our school books. And these trays keep life manageable for papers that we need all the time. This is a working trays here. And one pile is my husband's and one is mine. And then there's paper that children know always where the paper is. And there's <coughs> pens and pencils and scissors and a hammer, which is very bad idea with small children there. So don't leave the hammer <laughs> there. But um, we use this file all the time. And right now we're staging and selling our house. And this bookcase got moved. And so everyone just walks back here to this wall and just stands there looking at it like, where's the paper? And then they come ask me, of course. So my goal in all of this simplifying is... The less things that people have to come ask me where they are, the better. And so I work very, very hard at getting things back to where they belong right away when I can so that they don't have to come find me when they just need a piece of paper or whatever. So that's our bookcase. Those are our files. And then shoes are a very big deal in a big family. And I hate looking for shoes. It makes me really, really annoyed. And nobody wants to deal with that. So... Um, by the front door, everybody just comes in and takes their shoes off when they come in the house. And every kid, except the oldest, has two pairs of shoes in that basket. And then church shoes, so we hardly ever do anything fancy. I mean, the only fancy thing is church. So church shoes go in the closet across from this basket. And only I am able to get the church shoes down because bad experiences. And um, that works great for us. And kids don't wear shoes in the house. And then... To go play in the backyard, everybody has a pair of boots by the back door. And it just simplifies things, and they can get their boots on and off by themselves, and that's great. So that works for us. Here's the closet that's right next to the shoes. As you can see, big people don't have their things in this closet. So we all moved our things. When the kids came, we moved our coats and all that to our own areas to try to simplify this closet. And I keep wrapping paper. Everybody knows where the wrapping paper goes. It is never supposed to be anywhere else, and I will start yelling if it is. And um, church shoes, a few games and things, and this looks different when all of our things are at our house. And then toys that I get out for them to play with during the day. And then every time, and this is truly every time, we come home from somewhere, we get these things back. It, it's like emergency drill. Like, there's so many children getting ready and about five feet of space, things have got to be put where they go. The diaper bag's filled and right here on the floor. Coats are hung up. Shoes are in the basket. We can get ready and out the door in just a very, very short amount of time. We usually are rushing because we've usually hurried uh, too much. And um, also, my husband's the type that he really likes to do things spur of the moment. And so when we know Costco's going to close in an hour and a half, why not decide we're going to drive 45 minutes to get there and go shopping? So this is kind of like how we live life. And in order to make this work, I work really hard on putting things back. So this is my library in the house. That bookcase is the books that are in our living room, and that's it. And that's been our compromise of trying not to make it look too much like library stuff. In order to keep things going... My husband and I don't have many hobbies, and so he loves his sports teams and does that with the kids. I run and read and do this family book, and this is a cool idea I got online. It's been really fun for me because I used to try to do scrapbooks and 
all kinds of things to try to archive our family. And it wasn't working. I'm not a perfectionist. I just quit. And then there was no archiving going on. And so I found this idea online. This lady would tear pictures out of magazines and paste them in this book and write a few things about what happened that day in their family. And so I thought that was really cool. And I have this kind of dry sense of humor. And so I write really sarcastic things about what happened that day. And so my family really likes to go back and read this book. Like, a really big thing will happen. Somebody graduated from something or got an award. And so I'll put that in the book. And then next to it, we'll say, you know, <coughs> Judah peed on the floor three times because I forgot to put the stool back in the bathroom. Like, I just like to remember that all of these things were happening at the same time. Things, that's life. And that's kind of funny to look back on. It makes me laugh. I laugh going back to because it's so crazy. And it just... I don't know, I believe it's anyway. So, anyway, a few, um, that's the last of my pictures. Uh, I did take pictures of our drawers in the kitchen, but I thought that was too stupid to show you guys. But I worked really hard, again, like the coat closet. I worked super hard on having everything we need right there. And so I call it the gum drawer because there is gum in there, too. But there's everything else that we need in there. And it's in compartments, and it's organized, and... One child in particular likes to take, take the tape and never put it back, so nobody knows where I keep the backup tape. Only I know where I keep the backup tape, and I use that a lot because the crafty people in the family are constantly needing to use tape and glue and whatever. So I just, I was yelling about it too much, and so I thought I'll just put a backup, so, and I didn't tell them where, so it's still there. There are always, and I'm always, there are wipes and Kleenex and... Um, everything is always in the same place because children, like I say, if they have to stop and ask me while I'm trying to read to a child or listen to a narration for a Kleenex, I mean, that just, the volume of children asking for those things is too much for me. I can't listen to narration and read aloud to children and have runny noses over here and no one knows where the Kleenex is. So it's always in the same place. And we have about eight boxes around the house. So, and I have worked so hard. Why wouldn't they go to the box that's closest to wherever they are? Like, why? Why go all the way through the house, sniffing and dribbling? and Anyway, it doesn't make any sense to me, but they do. And so there's Kleenex all over the house. Um, and so that's something that really helps me in this whole thing. And so then, here we are. We're moving again. And so here we've talked about simplifying. And my husband knows. Like, he can tell I've simplified. I've gotten rid of a lot of things. And in preparation for this move... I went through and I got rid of about half of our things again. And I'm better at it now, so it didn't take me as long, but it was still pretty challenging, and I'm really glad I did it because the more things we have, we just make our life so difficult. And in Washington for these two weeks that we were just up there, I had about half our things with us, and I didn't want to go back and get the rest. It was so easy. It's like being on vacation. Like, you just have what you need. You have to bare necessities and everyone was happy nobody I don't think anybody asked for anything that we didn't have and then we came home and I realized I just need to really get rid of more stuff because we just don't have room so as I've been thinking about why we're doing this and some of the hardships that it's been and the interesting weird journey we're on to simplicity and I was studying for this talk I came across this quote Charlotte says in volume two, chapter six. To bring the human race, family by family, child by child, out of the savage and inhuman desolation where he, God, is not, into the light and warmth and comfort of the presence of God is no doubt the chief thing we have to do in the world. And one night last year, I was putting um, Shalaya, the then six-year-old, to bed. And she was crying about missing her mom, and it was sad, and we were just sitting together and back scratches and, you know, just, just being with her. She stopped and kind of changed course. I could tell. I didn't know what she was going to say. Sometimes it's really crazy, so I was ready. She said, Mom, can you believe I didn't know about God before I came here? No, I can't believe it, and I can't believe I've been given this gift 
of sharing Jesus with people who desperately, desperately need him. These children have grasped onto Jesus like you wouldn't believe. They need a savior. They know they're sinners. They apologize now. They know that someone has the ability to forgive them. They know there's heaven now. They had no idea about heaven. They're so excited to go there, sometimes too excited. <laughs> like, easy. We do not want to die yet. They're like, Mom, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm like, wait, just calm down. So, <laughs> we have that talk a lot, actually. I'm very worried about trees. And up until June 1st, these were foster children. And, you know, foster, you're like, just irresponsible looking if I let them climb to the top of the tree and so I was constantly telling them don't climb too high it's okay we're gonna go to heaven and you know my neighbors my neighbors I can't imagine what my neighbors think but you know it's crazy but that quote that quote just brings it home for me of why we're doing this and it's so worth it all of this has been so worth these children loving Jesus and having a heavenly father to love them that they didn't know about. So let me pray for us and our, all our journeys and simplicity a minute. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time we've had, and I pray again for protection of hearts, that you would only allow us to hear and consider the things that you have for each one of us in our time in life right now and the different responsibilities we have. Please encourage everyone in this room to go out and do the things that you have called them to, not necessarily what other people are doing. And I pray for the simplicity in our homes that maybe some of these ideas would help in some homes for a simpler, happier, and more purposeful life lived for you. I pray for all of our homeschools that you would bless them and keep them this year and let us learn more and more and grow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog. We hope you enjoyed the program. 